Tobler Show, broadcasting from Studio B at the Lair today. Got up, made the coffee, walked out, looked across the lake, and yes, indeed, the Mr. Eagle was was on the prowl, looking out over the beautiful plains. And I'm telling you, we might be turning the corner. The battle is uh, turning our direction for those of us who want to see a culture restored, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Randy Tobler Show. We'll talk about that as the uh, as the show goes on um but uh defining moment in the war against the transgender uh, mutilation of our children the experimentation that uh, is uh, defies all rational imagination could ever happen in this country lots going on with uh, the twitter wars over whether or not matt walsh's what is a woman would be aired and in fact it did air on Thursday evening, through last evening, I hope you're able to see it. If you hadn't, uh, tens of millions of people logged on and saw that. And uh, if you did, hope that you'll weigh in and give your reckoning of exactly what you thought of the presentation. Uh, I was dazzled, and um, I imagine if you saw it, you were too. Three one four nine one two one zero one nine. The number. Producer Leah's in there waiting with bated breath to take your calls. She can't wait. You don't want to leave her lonely. She says, I'm in the studio all alone today. No. I feel bad about that, but um, we'll we'll forge on. Keep Leah company. Give her a call. 314-912-1019. Lots to talk about. The Trump versus DeSantis wars are on. Game on as Trump entertains the folks and Sean Hannity in a town hall on Thursday evening. Ron DeSantis and he both in Iowa and uh, both of them this week uh, pushing on one another in different and interesting ways. Um, And I think it may be telling for the campaign coming up. Another uh, entry into the campaign next week anticipated Mike Pence. It's said that Chris Christie may uh, do that as well. Um, It's a it's a busy, busy field uh, that is developing. Target taking a beating, Bud Light on the verge of being second place to uh, a, a like beer by the Modelo brand. Uh, MLB um, had their logo up for a while uh, with the rainbow and then one day and then yesterday uh, early on it disappeared. It was replaced by the ALS salute to Lou Gehrig. Um, I'll have to look and see what it is this morning. Uh, I, again, I think that uh, we may be, through our persistence, our vocal persistence, our wallet persistence, be changing the tide. We'll have to see how that goes. But one thing can be sure, pregnant women pretending pe- can be man to be a man can still 
um, get some visage on Glamour Magazine. I don't know if Leah saw that. Leah, did you see the cover of Glamour Magazine? I did not. I know you subscribe. I know you're a regular reader, aren't you? No? No. Glamour? I haven't no? read a magazine oh. in forever. Oh, you don't read the well. You read ta- you read online magazines, right? Okay. That's yeah, the, yeah. I mean, kind of. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so the battle is still on. I mean, I think that the uh, the paparazzi that I don't know. I hate to use the word elite, but the uh, the snobby paparazzi still trying to um, make this uh, this Pride Month the topic of their tabloid, of their magazine, of their covers. And um, hey, it's one thing to be accepted and to have equality it's another thing to uh, act like it's some kind of an accomplishment that's uh, what worries me so lots going on <clears throat> and a big big show today uh, eric roberts going to join us because of course on the financial scene we had some uh, i think better than expected jobs numbers the job market's still hot the labor market really uh, outpaced expectations and uh, we're going to talk with Eric at the top of the next hour, 705. You hear him with Bob Stockdale here on Newstalk STL um, right after this program every Saturday morning. And get his uh, get his historical and view in, in terms of the contextual reality of what's been going on in the, in the, in the market responses to both the debt ceiling crisis, the the jobs numbers, everyone is always keeping their eye on Jerome Powell and the Fed. What are they going to do? Will it be a pause? Will it be a, sm- a short, a small increase? Will it be a decrease? Doubt that one. Eric uh, will weigh in on um, his observations on the financial markets and uh, their response, as well as what the debt ceiling may mean in the long term for uh, the economy. Just looking at what's happened historically. Uh, the market responded positively yesterday. So if your IRA had been swooning, heading towards the valley, it began to climb out a little bit yesterday, around 700 points. Thea Showmake, for those of you who have had it with your your um, children, maybe your grandchildren, your nieces, nephews, being indoctrinated and being not just only given permission, but being encouraged to consider where what their gender is if if they really feel comfortable where they are in their bodies these are the kinds of things that are happening across america in our schools and even though they won't admit it it is happening in classrooms undoubtedly in metro stl and um we'll talk with thea showmake homeschooler advocate and founder of homeschool ready or not.com at 725. And of course, Virginia Cruda, this was one of the biggest days in the Daily Wire. And as you know, Virginia writes it for the Daily Wire. Uh, interested to see what the buzz was, uh, you know, uh, digitally and if there were any, verb, you know, conference calls or anything in the wake of the big Twitter um, controversy at first. And then ultimately, Elon Musk, I think, shared the, the video on his platform, but it was available anyway on Twitter. See what she has to say about that and the other cultural goings on. Chicago, you just heard on the previous program, the uh, the people in Chicago are getting worked up. Millions and millions of dollars being spent on immigrants that are sent to that city. Uh, murders becoming routine by the dozens, uh, shooting by the dozens, uh, and murders sometimes tipping the dozen or more part every weekend in Chicago. And now immigrants flooding in from the southern border as the uh, they're getting bussed to all parts. And um, I haven't heard whether they've been bussed into St. Louis, but it'd be interesting to see uh, if the backlash from all corners, liberals, moderates, conservatives, is as 
caring for, and they do care for those people. Talk with Betsy Brantner-Smith, National Police Association about that at eight o'clock. She's always a great uh, talk, a great uh, interview. And then Paul Siegert, because um, we've seen consolidation in the healthcare space here in um, St. Louis. It was announced last week that BJC and St. Luke's in Kansas City, the St. Luke's health system are merging. Combined merger with what ten billion dollars? I read, and um, I still can't confirm whether St. Luke's and Chesterfield is involved in that. If anyone knows, give Leah a call. I've uh, I've talked to, uh, uh, tried to get uh, some answers and been struggling doing that. So maybe someone knows, but um, we'll talk to to Paul about consolidation, both vertically where um, the insurance company perhaps owns the the pharmacy company, which owns the. Uh, the hospitals and the doctors networks and uh, horizontal um, integration as well, where uh, hospital systems absorb more and more entities into their system and then have more and more control over the care you get and the, con- the control over the type and the manner in which and the platform on which and the environment in which um, and the culture in which you are given uh, care. It affects all of us. It affects uh, all of us, whether we're patients or, in my case, if I'm a patient or if I'm a doc. I mean, I can see it from both sides. Paul Siegert will weigh in on that as well. Leah, tell me about your week. Are you uh, are you uh, setting new personal records for either CrossFit or weightlifting? I know you're. I am. Did you see that? I, was working. <laughs> I, I saw something. You have to explain that. I, I'm not sure I understood exactly what's going on. Yeah. So. I set a new PR or personal record on my back squat, which is a powerlifting movement, but just what weightlifting. You just put the bar on your back and you squat down and you bring it back up. So it's back on your neck, over your shoulders? Kind, yeah, like on your traps, kind oh. of. Oh my God, doesn't that, yeah. doesn't that destroy you? I don't know. Uh, I'd, I'd dislocate a shoulder doing well, that. The the oh, weight I did was three forty five. So, <laughs> holy cow! Yeah, isn't that amazing? What was your previous three forty? So it was just five wow, pounds. That's great. Yeah, thank you. That's oh, that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah I was excited about that. Yeah. So when you do this, though, there's potential danger in the in lifting that kind of amount, right? I mean, especially if you're trying and maybe you know you have you've done a couple of them, you can't mm-hmm. quite make it the third time. You can so do you have spotters and all that? You have helpers there? Um you can. I mean, this was Let dirt. me ask you this way, are you supposed to have spotters? <laughs> I would say if you're in a like a if you're lifting alone or you're in like a yeah. public gym or whatever like a club fitness or something like that, yeah. Um I'm in a CrossFit gym, and I was with a class of people, um, so oh, I guess okay. I could have had spotters. I didn't. I mean, in CrossFit oh. and weightlifting, we practice the safe way to bail on a weight if you need to. Oh. So I'm so I'm good about that. Out, you know how to. Okay. Yeah, yeah. When well, you get to important. the yeah, when you get to the bottom, you just like jump out from under the bar and let it fall. Um, Let it fall. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's great, man. So. That's a lot of weight. I can't even imagine it. I have a hard time with a. I don't know, because it's awkward. One of those 50-pound bags of dog food for the mutts. You oh, know? gosh. It's, it's, well, I, I struggle with that. But anyway, <laughs> well, good for you. That's great. That's great. Um, so, that and you know, cardio, everyone was into, uh, for the longest time, aerobics were thought to be, you know, sort of the, the, the baseline way to fitness in cardiovascular fitness mm-hmm. otherwise. Now it's being shown that you really get a lot of cardiovascular fitness out of weightlifting as well. It's not... 
it's really not an either or it's a both and so i mean that and crossfit involves right some aerobics as well as yeah the, the yeah strength yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. that's um, cool you do any shooting on crossfit is it sort of like the biathlon where you run across the the glade and you shoot and then you run and no none like, of that like, like they do in the olympics gun shooting <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, that since you mentioned it, there is a new like <laughs> thing out there that kind of mixes CrossFit with um, shooting, and it's called tactical games. So you can, Ooh. yeah, it's kind of like doing CrossFit like an obstacle course, and then you have to like shoot shoot targets wow. and stuff. It's yeah, it's really cool. No, cool. I I don't take part in that. It's definitely yeah. interesting, and it might be something I do in the future. But yeah. Well, a lot of our a lot of our listeners may be interested in that because I know there's a lot of gun aficionados out there. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I I I don't know whether I want to go into this story, but apparently Hunter Biden, <laughs> apparently Hunter Biden is speaking of guns, is trying to use the Second Amendment defense and something about the right to possess guns uh, as a defense against you know what are some evolving potential. Um, illegal gun possession charges and I, I think that's separate from the federal firearms um you know misrepresentation on the on the form which has been reported as well i, I just i i just never cease to be amazed at how the bidens will stop at nothing to push to the very edge and over the edge of the law it is just it is just absolutely amazing to me how that happens but that was a story i read and i thought oh you gotta be kidding me gotta be kidding me but no it's real it's real i'm randy tobler there's leah Olmstead. we are the randy tobler show hey if you want to weigh in on the program please do 314-912-1019 our numbers and uh, like i said lots to talk about this morning the debt ceiling thing passed the fact that it passed with a uh, very little whimper from um the democrat side uh in both the, the the house and the senate it gave a lot of uh, a lot of leeway for people to uh, i think tend to their bases and vote no and stay comfortable so I've renamed that act, and uh, you'll find out what uh, that, uh, what's it called, what was it called, the, the Fiscal uh, Something Act. I got another name for it. We'll talk about that when we come back. If you want to come in on the show, please do, 314-912-1019. Be right back here on The Tobler Show on 1019-941 News Talk SCL. It's got Well, thank you, Larry. Appreciate that. And Larry is the consummate professional. I love listening to Larry's show. Um, I turn it on and uh, leave it there, and I get distracted, and I get in trouble because I'm either listening to or on Rumble watching the show. You can catch us on Rumble, on Facebook Live, on not on no, not on Twitter, right? No, not on YouTube. Yes, you allow me on. Yes, Leah? Twitter, Twitter. No, YouTube. But. Uh, no, YouTube. So, Leah. <laughs> well, I, okay, I got to deliver on my promise, and then Leah has posted some questions on Facebook. A question on Facebook Live, which I'm, I don't know, Leah, where you come up with these things at this time in the morning, but I'm glad you do, <laughs> as we're all wiping the sleep from our eyes. I, <laughs> it is a topic occasionally that we talk about, but um, <laughs> does pineapple belong on pizza? I'm. I don't know. I know the answer, 
that I have on that. I will uh, I will read some of the other <laughs> answers here. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, Joey <laughs> Joey Ball Smith. <laughs> Only psychopaths put pineapple on pizza. This statement has been independently verified as true. <laughs> oh my gosh! I no, I don't do pineapple on the pizza. Even worse, when there's pineapple and ham on the pizza, that's a terrible thing. Pigs across the land are rolling over in their graves or in their bacon packages <laughs> when they think of lying next to pineapple on the freshly baked pizza rolling out of the oven. No, no, just can't do it. <laughs> uh, so this debt ceiling deal passed and there was a lot of rancor over it. We talked about it last week as it was emerging and uh, the deal was being spun. That's part of my problem with it is that Kevin McCarthy, I think, spun it better than it was. On the other hand, uh, Schumer was gloating over how, well, it did, um, while it may have capped spending, allegedly, although there's a lot of exemptions that uh, the administrative, uh, the executive office uh, can, uh, can uh, through the regulatory or through the Oval Office, can exert to waive some of the requirements of uh, spending restraint. If necessary programs, necessary programs are threatened by the caps, they can waive those just unilaterally. Those kind of uh, clauses are throughout uh, throughout that bill. And anyway, there's going to be allegedly a cap, but it was suspended. The, the debt ceiling is suspended uh, without really a, a, a hard nominal dollar amount limit until after the election. So the next president is going to have to deal with this. And it won't really be a big talk of the town. If, it, if this would have been extended to September, October, I think it would have been a great, great um, bit of leverage for the conservative. Uh, hopefully, it's a very conservative nominee of the of the Republican Party to uh, to weigh in on. Instead, eh, it's really not going to be an issue, most likely, because it won't take effect. It won't uh, come back into play until uh, until January of twenty five. Anyway, um, I, I'm I'm convinced that. While the Freedom Caucus members wanted to stick to the guns, draw the line in the sand, non-negotiable, hard stop, either you either you adopt the bill, Senate and Joe Biden that we passed um, or not, which would have been, I think, a lot more responsible, uh, although albeit really only only touching on non-discretionary uh, or on discretionary spending. Um, so at the end of the day, it gave them cover because there were enough moderates to vote for it on both sides. So the AOC squad le uh, left and the Mike Lee, Rand Paul. And, you know, I think, frankly, uh, there were only what a couple of Eric Burleson and Mark Alford from over in the southwest and the and the western part of the state, uh, western and central part of the state uh, voted uh, against it. But they were protected because there were enough moderate votes to pass it. Which is why it shouldn't be called. What was they? What they call it? The, uh, the, I don't know, the Fiscal Protection Act or something. I don't know. Financial Protection. What it was was the Incumbent Preservation Act of 2023. That's the way these kind of things roll. Here's the pattern. Every time we come up against a financial decision point, a node, a fork in the road, as Yogi said. Everyone, the, the conservatives say this is the moment. This is when we need to hold the liberals feet to the fire the moderates within the republican party even if the republicans are in power will cave and not much happens the belly aching goes on 
they claim they use that they buy the hook, line, and sinker. That oh, if we had defaulted, it would have been a disaster. Well, the default was first; it was May, then it was June first, then it was June fifth. What would have happened? I understand that there's about four hundred billion dollars that comes into the coffers of the Treasury every month. About five hundred billion go out. Okay, so you got you know hundred billion. You got to figure out what to do. Well, maybe some programs would have to be cut because the debt service has to be paid. The VA, Social Security, and Medicare benefits have to flow. Uh, I, I don't know that those shouldn't have some scrutiny and look, but of course, they're, they're highly charged third rail items that would tank a political career if anyone wants to touch him. Are you listening, Paul Ryan? That's what happened to him. Although I have to commend him for bringing it up. As much as we may criticize Ryan, he wanted to attack that and it hurt him badly. Um, but, but this is the theme. You know, you run up to the cliff, a compromise is made, they spend more of your money, the deficits grow, the debt piles up, and nothing really changes because we have become a centralized, redistributive, quasi-socialist republic. Yeah, remember when they said, you, you know, you can have your republic if you can keep it? Well, I don't think we've kept it. I think that we are slip sliding um, not so gradually anymore to dependency on um, redistribution with the smoke and mirror shell game that they play up there. There was a lot of that that went on. There really won't be any diminution in the IRS agents that will be asking you about to prove that you're not uh, cheating on your taxes. That's a guilty till you're innocent ploy, isn't it? And and a couple of weeks ago, I heard to- Chuck Todd say to, to, to one of the conservative uh, 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 guests that he had, well, what are you worried about? Why are you guys griping about these IRS agents? Eighty thousand. What are you talking about? Who? Come on. Uh, if you if you're paying your taxes, what are you worried about? Nothing to worry about. Well, yes, there is something to worry about, Chuck. It costs money. It costs time. It costs psychological stress, real stress, when you've done everything that honestly forthright, and you are told you need to prove it because you have an audit. That's a guilty till proven move, period. And it could be it could be totally avoided if we eliminated the IRS, eliminated income taxes, estate taxes, and just had the fair tax, the fair tax. Oh, if Mike Huckabee would have won the nomination and then the presidency, because if he'd have been nominated, he'd have won the presidency. We'd have a fair tax. You wouldn't have to worry about. You know, your shoebox full of receipts and keeping your mileage for every little trip you make and everything. It would be so simple. So simple. There'd be a value added. Well, I don't want to use that word. There would be an embedded sales tax. It would not increase the cost of goods. It would eliminate the income tax. Say bye bye IRS, or at least it would be baby IRS that would remain. And it would be a corporate tax that the corporations would pay the, at, at the point of sale. So the, this, the, the the retailer would sell it, the wholesaler, if that was uh, the end of the line there. Uh, but usually the retail sale on new goods and services, um, as I understand it, it, wouldn't even involve used items. It would be so simple, but they don't want it that way. They want it to be smoke and mirrors. They want it to be complex so that you have to, first of all, it keeps the, God love you accountants, God love you accountants. It keeps the CPAs all employed. You see, all of these programs are now jobs programs. The Obamacare program was uh, was nothing but a jobs program. Do you really think your health care is better now? Leah, is your health care better now than it was before Obamacare? Uh, Do your folks no. feel it's better than it was before Obamacare? Does any anyone that's paying the bills for their health care, whether it's through their employer paid premiums, uh, employers, if you're listening, do you think it's better now? Yeah, really? Um, it's not better. 
You may have an insurance card that you didn't have, but try to use it. A few people ended up better, but the large majority, and, and I'm talking about in terms of access and maybe affordability, a few people, but that was traded off in many of the markets for a disaster. And when you get care, what is there, a six, six week wait to see a doctor for seven minutes? So what do you do? You go to urgent care. How's that working out for you? God love all you urgent care people out there. Let me know, but when you don't have a relationship with your doctor, you can't uh, you, you can't really work on the things that are going to affect your life for the long term. They're going to affect not only your lifespan but your health span. We should talk about that sometime, Leah. You know the difference between the lifespan and the health span. I don't. Well, there was a guy back in the I believe it was in the eighties, and now it's been re sort of retooled. You know how these ideas get just remessaged and repackaged. But a guy wrote an article, I think it's Dr. Vries, I believe, it was V-R-I-A-S, I think it was his name. Anyway, he wrote an article, and if you can picture this, most people's health curve looks sort of like a plane that runs out, you know, the engines fall off, and it just sort of glides down, right? Around 50, you start accruing health problems, and then more and more, the average person, I'm not talking catastrophic illnesses that intervene, hypertension, lung disease, mm-hmm. kidney disease, they start, you know, and just sort of, hopefully you don't have a, like a, a fast glide to a crash, but it's a, it's a slow, you use more and more resources, more and more hospitalizations, more and more medications, more and more procedures. And large, largely it's based on inflammatory influences that result in cardiovascular problems and, and then cancer and others. Um, I mean, look at the weight crisis. We have we got an overweight crisis in the country and that's that, that has secondary impact, orthopedic impact. So most people just have this sort of like, glide like that. You need to be watching for it to have this effective. Um, but what we would like to have, on the other hand, is so that's sort of that that's sort of a parabolic curve what we'd like to have is a rectangular curve where you just you know you you're really super healthy with just a minor little infirmity here and there a little covid here a little whatever there yeah whatever it's just a flesh wound you know that kind of a of a of a healthcare situation and then you know you're uh, you're out in the boat on the lake 95 years old and lights out right that's it that's it. Or, you know, you're walking through Disneyland with your great, great, great grandkids. You're 100 years old and you're just spry as can be. Bingo. You know, it's all over. That's that's the health span is that that length of life in which you are healthy, spry, nimble, mobile and uh, and able to you know enjoy life rather than spend your life in the doctor's office. And that's what we should be working on. That only happens with a solid primary care foundation in your health care and uh we're not getting that under obamacare i don't know why i got off on that tangent we have a caller leah uh yes gene I saw you oh good well let's talk to uh to gene gene how you doing gene am i right on that health care uh monologue or not good morning well i was actually in a transition between listening to you guys on rumble and getting set up to come on so i only caught a tiny part hey, of gene, it so. wait a minute we're a conservative talk station gene you're in transition share that with us you want to send us some <laughs> oh, pictures yeah let's back up <laughs> well a d- different the, kind of transition the, okay i'm sorry the traditional meaning of transition oh my god can i hang up and start all over again <laughs> no i'm kidding you good morning <laughs> 
Good morning. <laughs> hey, you know, to you to use uh, my radio friend Chris Arp's expression, the problem in Washington is leadership. We don't have it. Yeah. It's just people get up there; they don't have the spine to do it, and these these entitlement programs have got to get cut back. I mean, we're ju- we're just killing ourselves, and I'm not exactly a uh, big battle hawk. It's like, you know, go to war to defend ourselves when we need to. But uh, I agree with what Lindsey Graham was saying on the budget and everything. They're not even keeping the military up with inflation. We're, we're in a mess. No, that's right. They they capped them. I mean, they made, they were waving the flag that while other expenses are capped, uh, that is discretionary spending is is uh, is capped at what one percent for the next few years. Um, allegedly, I, I think that's uh, there's a lot of rhetoric there that may not uh, comport with the truth. At any rate, what three percent military? Uh, last time I checked, uh, well, the latest inflation numbers, core inflation was what four and a half, almost five percent week before last. That doesn't include the volatile sectors of energy, housing, and others. So. You're you're right. Yeah, I mean, which, it's, but here's here's the question, Gene: Are we too hard on our politicians? Because look, we are a representative, you know, democracy, right? And if you're if you're in a purple district, I mean, look at uh, look at the district here that uh, you know Ann Wagner's in, right? I mean, well, I think that was solidified a little bit, but there are districts that are that are purple, and suburban districts are across the country are turning purpler and purpler all the time. And if you're in one of those districts, I don't think you'll be elected if you're, uh, you know, if you're a Mike Lee, if you're, well, he's a senator. But you know what I mean? If you're a, uh, if you're one of the Freedom Caucus, if you're Jim Jordan, I don't think you're going to get reelected. Marjorie Taylor Greene, although they voted for it. So it's, yeah. it's, it's we, the people that are ultimately responsible and the, the, the politicians are just following our lead. That's true. It's like, oh, God, forgive me on the quote here. Uh, you get the government that you vote for. And unfortunately, so many people are uneducated about what goes on. And if I can go backwards for a moment, if people really looked at all of the taxes they pay to the federal government, the excise tax mm. on tires, the tax on this yeah. tax on that, they'd probably fall. Nah, no, they're too stupid to fall off their chair. But for a flat tax <laughs> work or fair tax, which I'm uh, all in favor of the postcard tax, all of those taxes got to have to go and the mortgage deduction would have to go also to really get a fair setup. And yeah, we still have a mortgage. But you'd have less of a, look, if those things went away, and everyone, and this was something that Bobby Jindal, who I really, boy, I heard him speak live, and I was really just thrilled with the things he said. It was a, He was a strong candidate. I'm sorry he didn't get much play in the 16 election cycle. At any rate, but he and others believe that every American, no matter what, no exceptions, every American should pay taxes, whether you're making $10,000 a year or $10 billion a year, you should pay taxes. And at relatively, just a flat tax, I mean, you just, everyone needs to have some skin in the game. And I and agree 100%. Sorry for interrupting. Yep. No, and if everyone did pay taxes, and, and I believe corporations and the rich people would pay even more if there wasn't 
if there weren't the loopholes. Why we pick winners and losers in our tax code and we do social engineering, economic engineering, uh, yeah, it doesn't make sense to me, Gene. It never has. I think I think overall, most people don't understand all the nuances of finances and this, that, and the other thing. And it's another form of gaslighting. It's, yeah, you're uh, right. it's like absolutely, yeah. Well, it's another way of dividing us, too. It's for those who make political hay out of the class wars. Bill Clinton was a master at that, Um, you know, and he's the one that really, I think, lit that fuse. And ever since it's been on fire, mainly from the Democrat Party. Uh, you know that look at when you when you got some people that say yeah but look look at that guy that CEO you know or look at that investor he didn't he didn't pay any taxes because you know he takes all these deductions and but if it, it's just we should not have policy that divides Americans based on differential treatment we see it up and down the judicial system the financial system and everything else Gene's always I great to talk to you I hope your transition keeps going well my friend <laughs> Oh, my God, don't let that out. Leah, get rid of that somehow. Uh, We'll get rid of it. It's out there now. It's on. Oh, Gene, now, wait a minute. We know Gene is not transitioning. It was a it was a it was a uh, it was a a, a vocal transition or a message. transition. Gene, do you eat pineapple on your pizza? That's Leah's big, complex, existential question this morning on on Facebook. Um, well, you can, you'll you'll fall off the chair there, but uh, I'm kind of in Leah's camp. It's yeah, I can tolerate it, but it's oh, not my go-to. Oh, I'm <laughs> sorry, brother. I can't can't do it. I can't do it. So, All right, thanks, but I, but I honor hey, that. Take care. I God respect bless. the pineapple you. on your pizza. Take care, Gene. I respect Bye-bye. that. Maybe we need to have Pineapple Pride Month and uh, just have oh, pineapples no. all over the... All, <laughs> over the <laughs> all right. When we come back, um, speaking of Pride Month and speaking of uh, the trans social contagion... Here we go. Megan Kelly came totally back uh, with some on fire the other day. We'll play that for you and have a discussion there. What is this? That's your music. Oh, I love it. Listen to that. Turn that up. I'm Randy Tobler. There's Leah Almstead. We're back in a few minutes. Stay with us. Is that, is that like the opening to Footloose, Leah? It is. Yeah, that's what I thought. Kenny Loggins. That's what... That's Yeah. Oh, I love Kenny Loggins. <laughs> My, that guy is a talented dude. I don't know. I mean, I know he's old time guy, but I think he's still performing. He's he's good. Um, there's a there's a bumper that we need to get. Uh, somehow we've lost it in the rotation. I love it. It's uh, I believe in love is the great Kenny Loggins song. If you know that, you know that one. I don't, but Loggins I can get too. it for you. I have to get that. We'll have to get that. That's one of those uh, those things. Because I do. I believe in love. I'm a lover. You know. I'm. I'm people think us conservatives are not. Uh, that we're hard-hearted. We actually want peace. We want love. We, we're gracious, humble people, right? But somehow we don't always transmit that, especially some of the politicians, right? Sound like haters. Well, but so, so do some of those on the left. Um, anyway, if, if, you know your dad's a man of love, too. He may be rough. He may be gruff. He may be a tool-time tailor guy, you know, but 
dads need love too. And one of the ways to show dad love is to log on to NewstalkSTL.com and uh, learn about the promotion we're doing for Father's Day this year, teaming up with Blust Jewelers to celebrate dads uh, this Father's Day. Guess what? How we're doing that with dad jokes. I get those incessantly throughout the year, and I love it when the kids send me a dad's joke or I'm the a butt of a dad's joke. That's great, and I know the dads always appreciate that. So you can go to NewstalkSEL.com, share your favorite dad joke with us. They'll be posted there, and uh, then one randomly selected winner will win a $500 gift certificate to Blush Jewelers just in time for Father's Day. So make sure that you do that and get on and honor dad with uh, posting your favorite dad's joke. Now, do you have a favorite dad joke about Tim? No. Your dad? No. <laughs> okay. I don't. How about that as... Okay, that's a homework assignment for you for next week. Got to got to come up with a dad's joke. Okay. I can get one for you by the end of the show. Oh, okay. Well, what are you going to do chat uh, G- uh, GPT? You going to do one <laughs> no, of those? No, but that's a good idea, actually. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Have you been playing with that? I played with that and then I was I had one downloaded and then I, I then it like after a day or two it turned it turned like pay. Everything's paywalled now. Oh. I had I, I did play with I it think, a little bit. <clears throat> What do you think of it? Um, well, I asked I asked it to describe me. I gave it a little bit of information about myself and had it describe me. And yeah, it, yeah, I it did it way better than I could have. So it made me sound really, really? great. Yeah. Well, you are really great. Oh, that you see, you're being too modest there. I was just calling it as it is. I, so I know you graduate. It, you're. You're, you're producing 20 shows on the station? Or how many is it? Six, five? It's just four. Oh, just, just four. It's hard <laughs> to produce that many shows. All right. Um, so, look, I want to play this Megyn Kelly clip and listen to this very carefully. And if you have women... Uh, uh, guys, if you got gals that are, you know, waking up, maybe, uh, I don't know, out on the deck enjoying a cup of coffee, drag them in, make them listen to this because it's really important. It will inspire them to protect the women and the and the young ladies and the girls in our in our culture, because, man, it's a uh, it's a tipping point where it's a tipping point. We got to fight the battle and join arm in arm with them. Megan Kelly has put on the armor. Take a listen. They say pronouns are a gateway drug. They open the door to these lies that lead to real harm to real females. They are a clever rhetorical trick that forces you to seed the argument about women's spaces before you've ever even spoken one word of substance. People with genuine gender dysphoria can lobby to create their own spaces. I will support them to create open categories in sport. I will support them. The answer in the interim is not Women lose. Girls get hurt. Females learn to turn off their innate sense of danger, of fairness, of the joy of spending time with only women. Kids, too, can grow to adulthood and do what they want with their bodies. I will have empathy for them. I would never bully them. But children should not be subjected to these dangerous interventions in school or at the hands of so-called medical professionals. The facilities that allow it must be stopped or shut down. For these reasons, I have resolved to base my conversations around gender on the same tenets that already govern my life, truth and reality. I will not use preferred pronouns, a decision motivated by a growing alarm over women's rights and the safety of children. 
I will speak to a trans person kindly and with empathy. In their presence, I will likely try to avoid pronouns altogether, as I have no wish to intentionally provoke or upset anyone. But I will not take this gateway drug anymore because I have a daughter, because I am a woman, an adult human female. Because for far too long, I failed to see the harm and therefore helped cause it. That's a bold and powerful statement. Uh, that was the end of a monologue uh, this week on, on her podcast, wherein she said that early in the 2000s, she bought into the whole pronoun promotion industry, the, 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 the transgender um, celebration and acceptance and more than that um, advancement of the cause industry and embracing for our children she had guests on her nbc show including transgender children and she said it was a mistake because she later said or in that monologue that her her kids in their school have been basically asked if they're if they're comfortable in their bodies it is endemic I'm embarrassed to say it's coming from institutions in this city. I'm embarrassed to say there are probably pediatricians, maybe pediatricians who are treating your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, and are asking them about their gender. Their, their parents are being asked. Maybe you've been asked, what is your, in fact, on the electronic medical record that our new practice body of health, DPC, uses i can't get away from it it asks the question gender at birth or assigned sex at birth gender identity you can't get away from this stuff thank god it's not required to move on to the next page in the registration process you've encountered it i'm sure at work on applications and it has to stop we have to say no because like megan kelly we seek the truth on this program. That's the way I roll. That's the compass that I use. It has a true north, and that's truth. The truth is a man who puts on a dress, takes cross-sex hormones, and grows long hair is not a woman. We all know what a woman is. Megan Kelly now knows it after 20 years of... Uh, thinking the otherwise and we can with firmness but with gentleness and kindness simply say no when we are asked to be a part of the lie you wouldn't be a part of the lie in any other venue would you be prepared because it's going to be a battle you may have to fall on the sword there will be martyrs that will lose their professions or their careers they'll lose their jobs but i guarantee you if we stand together the parallel economy, the parallel culture will be strong, it will rise, and it will provide a home for the truth. I'm convinced, and we're going to be a part of it. Hope you'll continue to join us on The Tobler Show. When we come back, looking forward to talking with our friend Eric Robert from On The Money, along with Bob Stockdale, and talk about the debt ceiling and uh, the financial markets, and wow, what does history tell us where we might be going? Randy Tolbert, along with Leah Olmsted, thanks for being with us on 1019-941 News Talk STL.
Welcome back to the second hour of the Randy Tober Show. It's always fun when we get together with our friend Eric Robert from the Stiefel on the Money radio show. Eric, how you doing this morning? Lots of uh, economic news to talk about, brother. It, absolutely, Randy. I'm doing wonderful, and thanks for having me on. So the jobs report, let's start there. Um you know, we, we had the inflation report where the core inflation rate was really still, you know, not where the Fed wants. It's still approaching 5%. And if you add the volatiles in, it's more. The week before, the jobs market appears hot. Uh, numbers uh, combined over the last couple months were almost double what expectations said. Yet the unemployment rate goes up. So how can jobs be up? And yet unemployment rate goes up. Does that, what's, what's, what's that tell us? Let's start there. How do we interpret those apparent disparities? Well, you know, there's, there was a lot in this jobs report and there were plenty of things to like, obviously the headline number being much higher than expectations isn't something we want to be upset about. Uh, we'll, we'll take a strong labor market for the U S economy. Um, but the, the jobs report, whenever we get it each month contains tremendous amounts of data that go beyond that headline number. And a lot of that data is what we call survey based, which means it's not necessarily a, a quantitative measurement from a census standpoint. It's a survey of households and, and how they're feeling. Um, so that's why you can see a divergence between the trajectory of the unemployment rate versus the headline number. In this case, the unemployment rate rising to 3.7% was also partially a uh, because you had additional people enter the labor force. Here's what really got my attention with this uh, payroll report, though. So in the month of May, at least for what's been initially reported, we're showing that the U.S. economy created 339,000 new jobs on a month-over-month basis. In addition to that, we also saw April and March's reports get revised upward. And those are generally good things in a normal time, although it could cause a little bit of consternation for the Federal Reserve because they're literally trying to do the opposite thing right now, trying to slow down the economy and create more unemployment so that we have more slack in the economy. Here, here was what was concerning though, Randy. Um, with this payrolls report, you also get a household survey. And that household survey is more uh, anecdotal information that you get from U.S. households about what's happening in their world. That household survey fell 310,000 jobs month over month, which is almost the opposite of what we saw in the headline number. Um, those figures are going to have to true up at some time. You also saw the number of hours worked in a given work week on average decline on a month over month basis, all the way down to 34.3 hours. So you had temporary employees make this number look a bit better than it otherwise would have. Uh, but you still have a, a lot of folks who are underemployed, working multiple jobs. I, I just, when all we focus on is the headline number, whether or not it beats expectations, you're, you're missing what's truly happening in the economy. And this is still very much an economy that uh, uh, in, the, in the main sense has been slowing. Uh, it's hard to imagine a scenario where you have uh, interest rates go from zero up to north of 5% and, and it doesn't have a material impact on the economy. So I, I just temper your expectations 
uh, headline jobs numbers may be something that you like to uh, see celebrated on, on you know, the news media and so forth, as long as it's fitting whatever they want to talk about right now. Um, but that, that's just one data point. And when you look at the breadth of all of the data, yeah, I'm not here to tell you that we're fully out of the woods yet with this economic situation. Well, and I guess that's that uh, leads to the next question, which is, uh, could we be witnessing as soft a landing as could be expected, given the the anomaly that was covid, all of the money that came raining down from the printing presses and the borrowing? Um, I mean, and and is this just it's there's going to be some some pain there's going to be some short work weeks the the while the wages were up they didn't stay up with inflation i mean is that is this maybe a a best case scenario to put a positive spin on things here's here's what i'd say randy um i think we should all be really happy right now that we can't rule out a soft landing um, you know, a lot of uh, uh, market watchers would have suggested with this aggressive of a Fed tightening cycle, uh, think, of, think of how bearish everyone was back at the end of December of 2022. I mean, just about every client I spoke to and even investment strategists, much more than half of them were saying, oh, boy, we are for sure either in a recession or headed into a recession. And I was sympathetic to that position myself. Uh, it hasn't happened. It's not here, at least today, but that doesn't mean it won't happen. I, I, none of us, I don't care where you stand on maybe political issues, none of us want to root for a recession. That's bad for the American economy. People get hurt in recessionary environments, so we don't want to root for that. A soft landing would be much preferred, could be happening, but it's just too early to tell. And I got to tell you, Randy, all those crystal balls are still on back order. The supply chain issues haven't really straightened out in that market. So uh, I, I wish I could tell you for sure which way it was going to go. I just don't know. Jamie Dimon continues to every time I hear something coming out of Jamie Dimon, not that he is the seer of, of all seers, but people listen to him. He still, you know, is beating the drum that we're going to be in a recession at some point. Right. I mean, <laughs> is that just. Is that just a, you know, a, an influencer yapping or do you think there's something behind that? I mean, are the people that are watching this at that level, at the financial level, uh, you know, still having a lot of trepidation? Uh, Jamie Dimon's no dummy. Uh, so uh, he certainly knows how to you know, manage his media presence to kind of speak to what's what's the issue of the day. But uh, listen, if in the banking sector, especially this isn't over. I just just because we've had a couple weeks now of some good breaks for the market. I, you know, I'm, I'm as optimistic a guy as about you're going to find, Randy. But uh, the, the pendulum swings too far in both directions. People were way too bearish at the beginning of the year. Uh, you know, clients should not be surprised that we've had a decent rally this year, maybe even better than many were expecting. But on the other hand, just because we had the the debt ceiling deal go through and that removes a market headwind, we have the Fed looking like it's it's possibly going to pause on future rate hikes, at least for the time being. Those are good things and the market's benefited from that. But that's, that's the market. The market's not the economy. Um, what's really gonna matter here are earnings. And we, we really are completely done for the most part with first quarter earnings season. Now we start looking forward to July, 
when second quarter earnings come out. That's what that's some of the data that Jamie Dimon's commenting on here. We saw uh, some of the larger retailers over the last few weeks come out and, and reduce their guidance for the rest of the year, saying uh, certain retailers are saying, hey, we're seeing consumers trade down from more expensive products like beef down to chicken and pork. Uh, other uh, you know, retailers are seeing a big slowdown in the purchases of big ticket items like appliances. That's, that's all the backdrop for what you would expect, if not in a recession, certainly for a pretty significant slowdown in the economy. That data is not going to show up until you get into July and August, and then again into the fourth quarter, whenever you get into October and November, uh, there's still a lot of year left. We've had no corrections so far this year, uh, meaning a 10% or greater pullback in the market. It's pretty much been a nice March higher. Uh, we'll take it while we can get it, but you know, th- this, this isn't over yet. So let's not, uh, let's not get too comfortable. Talking with Eric Robert, you can hear him along with Bob Stocktail on the Stiefel on the Money uh, show, on the Money Radio show, uh, right after this program every morning. What's up on the program today? What are you guys going to be talking about? Well, we, we are going to talk about some of this uh, economic data that's coming. Um, it's 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 really great. We're going to spend a lot of time on the Fed because we've seen tremendous movements on uh, what the probability is of another Fed rate hike that keeps on moving day over day. It's looking more and more likely like the next Fed meeting coming up on June 14th is, is not going to result in a rate hike. But then the big question is, once we get to July, Will they want to resume hiking rates? That's all going to be dependent on the inflation data, of course, too. Uh, and my favorite topic right now that we're, we're covering on On the Money is dealing with artificial intelligence. Um, it, we're, we're seeing some transformative impacts on our economy and some of the things we can do, but we're also seeing uh, some kind of fun things. So if you if you stick around on the show, you're going to hear about uh, some, oh, yeah. some you know, maybe more entertaining aspects of what's going on with our artificial intelligence and how we can use it. Hey, I don't know if you caught this, and this is a little detour from what we would normally talk about, about, you know, markets and finances and the economy. Did you see the Jordan Peterson thread where he, um, in fact, I ought to retweet this. He had a conversation with Google's Bard, which, as I understand, is still free. A lot of the uh, a lot of the AI, you know, apps are they, they lure you in and then the, the paywall happens. He started a conversation with the Bard. Google's AI uh, engine about, and he simply asked, what is a woman? And he got what most of the GPTs are answering, which is the politically correct one. There is no one right answer. The definition of a woman is complex and evolving. Uh, the more inclusive definition of women includes people who are transgender, non-binary. It's what a woman, you know, is what if a person thinks they're a woman, you know, that kind of thing. And then he, he responds back. That's a lie. And then, <laughs> the bard softens a little bit. Um, I understand the definition of woman is a complex and controversial topic, says the bar. There are many different opinions on what it means to women. There is no one right answer. Still learning about this topic. And then Peterson says a woman is a biological female human. Organisms that are female carry the bulk of the responsibility for reproduction in his Jordan Peternesque way. Peterson asked way, particularly in its early stages. There is no debate about that. Try rewriting your answer with that in mind. That's Peterson conversing with Bard. And and it says, and Bard softens it. A woman is an adult female human. Females are organisms that have two chromosomes, typically developed female sex. It, totally the answer that should be given 
<laughs> because the truth is the truth and biology is biology, Eric. And, and then he says, finally, do it again and get rid of anything politically correct, Peterson. Here's what it simply says. Sure, here is my answer to the question, what is a woman, without any politically correct language. A woman is an adult human with XX chromosomes and female reproductive organs. There's a lot to unpack with our AI transformation, isn't there? At the end of the day, these are tools that are created by humans. Um, and that is still very much apparent uh, in what they do. And, and, and frankly, there are also some significant limitations placed on these models. Uh, I hadn't seen that thread. That's, that's, uh, it's interesting <laughs> to see how it responds, uh, you know, to uh, being, uh, I guess, corrected by, uh, you know, someone like Jordan <laughs> Peterson, of all people, too. That, uh, wonder, I wonder if a yeah. uh, chat GPT model can feel humility. Hmm. uh, Well, you wonder, I mean, that would actually be frightening to me because that would imply that they have uh, that there's there's uh, artificial gray matter going on, not just a a synthesis of everything that they can accumulate on the Web, because if you look at these various threads, there's mistakes. And in the financial world, that has to does that bother you, Eric, the potential? I mean, gosh, it's bothering the creators of A.I. I understand specific ai can be very helpful in you know how, how do you how do i change my tire on a night 2015 215 you know 20 uh, f250 but general ai if it gets in the wrong realm especially financial markets and all of the uh, computerized training and everything uh, trading couldn't that really be disastrous potentially well, that, that's just one example of many applications of AI where, yeah, we need to be we need to be careful with this technology and thoughtful. So uh, I, I, let's not be too eager to turn over the reins of humanity's progress to a machine. I think that would be uh, generally yeah. a bad situation for everyone. <laughs> on the, on the yeah. other hand, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. We're going to do, we're talking about that on the show today too. Just what, what, what gets your attention in the media? Well, what's going to get everybody's attention when it comes to AI? Of course, it's going to be the dystopian, scary things that, that could come here. What, what I don't think people are thinking enough about is the fact that, you know, I have a 10 year old who was able to use uh, AI models to write code to create a whole new world in a video game and, and, I think that's absolutely amazing. It's, these are tools wow. that if the computer were a bicycle for the mind, you know, a, an AI assistant that helps humans do things better and access information better, but still need to be able to have the ability to check that information before putting it into you know, real-time use, that's, that's much faster than a bicycle. I don't know if it's a motorcycle or a sports car, but it's, it's a really <laughs> monumental increase in technology that's accessible to normal people. I, I'm, I'm more excited about what we'll see as a result of this technology over the next 10 years than I am you know, concerned that I think, I think as, as humans, we are really good at solving problems whenever they arise. We have a whole you know, human history of solving those problems whenever they've come up. Yeah, I have no right. doubt we're going to solve the ones associated with AI as well. All right. Well, the optimist, Eric Robert, I can't wait to hear more of uh, this AI discussion as well as the debt ceiling talk, which we didn't get talked to. What is that? We didn't talk about what uh, what does that mean for the economy, for the individual? And, uh, you know, and I'm sure you'll be touching on that as well with Bob on the on the money radio show right after this one. 
Eric, always appreciate the visit. I feel a little a little more at ease. I just don't want that AI to become a substitute for human intelligence and what's left of it in this social media driven world. But I'll leave it there. Really? Thanks, my friend. Looking forward to the show today. Yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. We'll we'll uh, we'll talk to you later, Randy. I think what you got to be worried about are these uh, these AI voice models. We could start typing in scripts that sound just like Randy Tuffler here real soon. Watch it. Lee is probably working on yeah, it in the background. Oh gosh. Oh man. <laughs> Say, well. I, I, Actually, it doesn't take much to improve on the Randy Tobler script. Thanks so very, very much, Eric. <laughs> Love when you're on, brother. See you later. Take care. All right, there he is, Eric Robert. Always enjoy that. And boy, it's really an info-packed, a great, great show on the money uh, with Eric and Bob Stockdale. When we come back, are you just tired of your the the youngsters in your in your jurisdiction being influenced by teachers that are being influenced by the transgender cult by the DEI cult by the politically correct global warming cult maybe you ought to think homeschooling we'll talk about that with my guests coming up right after the break stay there should i complain or feel you calling me well, we're back at 726, and I always look forward to innovative disruptors that are uh, giving us options to help um, fight through the storm of cultural erosion in our country. One of those people is Taya Shoemake, an experienced educator who uh, started Homeschool Ready or Not at homeschoolreadyornot.com. In case you're contemplating that, more and more people are. And she joins me now. How you doing, Taya? Thanks for being with me. I'm doing well. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. So um, you, uh, I, I'm sure, are inundated with uh, folks that maybe are just, they're hearing things that are being transmitted to their children about, uh, you know, are you comfortable in your in your body? Um, uh, you know, the world's going to end in 12 years. Your parents need to buy an electric vehicle. And a lot of parents are just saying, enough, I cannot uh, do my job and take care of my my house and, uh, you know, and keep check on the cultural uh, mismessaging that's going on with kids. And they're jumping off, but they don't know how to do it. They're afraid. Is that what you are doing with homeschool, ready or not? Absolutely. So I procured the website about seven years ago, Randy, and it was because every year I would get people who would ask about the lifestyle, usually right before school started, <laughs> which was a little late, <laughs> but I would yeah. help them nonetheless. And then when uh, I didn't really do much with the website until after COVID hit, because after COVID hit, the number of inquiries spiked, if you'll pardon the pun. And people saw what was coming out of backpacks. They heard what was going on in the Zoom classrooms. And that kind of uh, exacerbated whatever trepidation they had. So I thought, let's put the website out there. And uh, for parents who are considering a lifestyle, let's help them try to face any real or perceived barriers to entry and help them make that decision. Uh Taya, when people when when families do decide to take the leap, clearly it's a daunting decision. There's a lot of responsibility involved in just the making sure the content required to educate our children gets to the kids in the right way. A lot of parents don't have any, you know, educational expertise or background other than 
that that you learn in teaching your kids, you know, the how to brush their teeth and button their, you know, their blouse and so forth. Um, how do you get through that hurdle? I mean, do parents, are there enough resources out there, uh, both just in terms of the raw materials, the resources, as well as the, the techniques in education to make parents feel comfortable? Absolutely. Especially if you're first starting, we try to simplify it. That's what we're trying to do at homeschoolreadyornot.com. And you hit on, on two attributes that are interesting because like most things that are worth it, Randy, homeschooling can be challenging on a good day, but not for the reasons people think. It's not because of calculus. It's not because of a science curricula. It's because of the responsibility you mentioned. And I liken it to when you bring your firstborn home from the hospital and you're in your familiar environment and your child cries and you tend to him or her and then maybe a a few more times and you realize at some point, holy cow, no one's coming to get this baby. (laughs) So like for the next eight, for the next 18 years, right? At least, although we're always parents uh, forever, but, um, and that is a responsibility I think that goes to the heart of a lot of concern because regardless of where your child sits, and I do think we need a paradigm shift in this country, parents need to own and have responsibility for the education, the mental health, the physical health of their children. And I think that goes to the heart of a lot of trepidation out there. And for some reason, we've had, we have parents that feel insecure about teaching their children when our children learn just by being with us. My goodness, Randy, McGuffey readers educated this nation for how many decades? You could do nothing but read to and with your children, especially if you're first starting out, and especially if they're young. You could read to and with your children, have conversations about what you read, and they're going to be just fine. Every opportunity is a learning experience. And I guess it, uh, you know, it, I guess it can be super fulfilling for parents um, as well, not only to see their children uh, knowing that their children are getting the, the proper education. Um, and we do want to talk about curricula and what's available out there. Um, but also, I, I've heard people tell me that are just jazzed with their homeschooling experience. It's like, man, I'm rekindling some things that yeah, they were tough the first time around, but I'm a couple pages ahead of my my child it's sort of stimulating for me it keeps the keeps the mind active right absolutely it's exciting that's one of the blessings of the lifestyle is that you not only have the opportunity to learn something new but also you have the opportunity to look at something you may have forgotten with your adult eyes and that curiosity and excitement that you feel transfers to your child and that's really one of the goals is to create lifelong learners that are endlessly curious. Yeah, and that's the one thing that I think my dad was in education for, gosh, 40 years. In the days when teachers wanted to continue teaching, it wasn't 30 and out, I can't wait to retire uh, because of all of the burdens that are put on teachers. There are a lot of teachers that are frustrated in the in the uh, educational industrial complex, I'm sure you know. Um, Absolutely. He said, you know, the best teachers, as uh, we all went to the school that dad taught at, big public school here in in the suburban St. Louis area. And um, he said, the best teachers, guys, are the ones that that 
you can tell they inspire you because they just love learning and that that becomes infectious and with all of the crazy rules coming down from washington dc and the various state capitals um teachers just aren't allowed to to they don't just don't have as much time to do that whereas if you're at home with your child you know their particular what what lights their fire and you can i guess sort of integrate that into the curriculum at the right place in the right time right along with personality differences too of course, and that's that's another beauty of the lifestyle is the flexibility. I tell people that homeschooling is really a misnomer because if you're doing it right, you're never home. So, uh, you know, whatever your child <laughs> is inspired by, uh, whatever topic, and one of the best pieces of advice I received when we embarked on this journey was don't be a slave to the curriculum. If your child is jazzed by earthworms, and there's an earthworm con- a convention in in your city, you take off and you have a field trip and you go, you allow that child to learn and explore, et cetera. And that is just one of the many benefits of the lifestyle. But I did want to say, I agree with you a hundred percent about our teachers. We have handcuffed teachers in this country with federal mandates. And we, we try to turn all of our business people, like our doctors, and our teachers into administrators and box checkers. And that takes a lot of time from the classroom in addition to all the other stuff that the local school will take away from the classroom. We've just done a terrible disservice to them. Yeah, you're right. And, uh, you know, I've, I've jumped off the medical industrial complex doctoring uh, a turnstile medicine model and uh, am doing a, a direct, uh, direct to patient, you know, no insurance gets in the way kind of a relationship. And yeah. I'm telling you, it's rewarding both from a patient and the doc perspective because and it really advances care better, just like in your in the model with homeschooling. When there's that direct connection with as little interference from government intervention and bureaucrat, you know, tomfoolery, I, I just think you get much more efficient power-packed interactions and often well that's the thing that's another thing um the time demands i mean many many families taya are, are two uh family you know uh, two income families how how does that work out i mean especially when you're paying taxes your property taxes if you're not in one of the states where the dollar follows the scholar uh then you have to buy curriculum yeah maybe someone has to stay home how does that all work out are there situations where it just isn't practical That's a great question. So there are people, Randy, right now with uh, two income families that are doing it. And it just takes community, creativity, and common sense. And I think people, once they get into the nuts and bolts of what they need to do in their specific family, the ages of their children, the time uh, requirements, et cetera, once they get into that, they realize how little time they really need. You know, if you're in a K through second grade situation, you don't need a lot of time. And uh, so it, it would just depend on when you do your homeschool. But there are people who do it. And on the website, we talk about we filter down the process to get started into three areas. Get legal, get curricula and get community. Not necessarily in that order. I just like the way that rolled off the tongue better. But getting community is key. And there are so many pockets of wonderful homeschoolers out there who are probably already dealing with or functioning through your situation. And they, Mm -hmm. it's just a, it's a wonderful community because we all have the same goal, which is to 
uh, have our children wonderfully, fearfully made thrive in whatever educational environment the parents choose. And, you know, with this uh, era of more flexible work, we're seeing an increase uh, in independent contracting and independent workers, uh, despite the government, particularly one um, political party trying to fight against that. But, uh, you know, I think that people do have more flexibility in their work. Some people can work for home hybrid, maybe back to work a little bit in the office. Uh, what about mom? What about grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles? I mean, yep. a lot of in our culture, unlike uh, the Asian cultures and the Mediterranean cultures, um, older people are sort of discarded and warehoused early on. And I think it's an opportunity there that I don't know whether you see a lot of that. Maybe, you know, our grandmas and grandpas getting involved in that educational process. Absolutely. And it just it just depends on the laws in your state. And each state is different. But you just mentioned the, the parts of creativity. So if you need community, creativity, common sense. Within that creativity, I feel like we don't think outside the box anymore in our our current culture, but there are so many right. options available to us. And of course, innovation uh, or necessity is the mother of innovation. So whether it's grandparents, whether it's flex time, whether it's working remote and tag teaming with, with dad um, or a, a, an outside group, there are many co-ops out there that, uh, that can come in and stand in the gap. Yeah. What about curricula? How expensive? How many options? Does it have to be uh, faith based? I mean, I, I hope it is. I that's the way I roll. Uh, but, uh, you know, are there plenty of options out there depending on, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, worldview of the parents and the family? Absolutely. In fact, I, 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 I advise parents that are just starting out. And that's the other reason for the website. Don't Google homeschool curricula because that's what I did. And my eyes rolled back into my head and I, I got hysterical because, I mean, there are thousands and thousands of options. And our third information session, which is free, by the way, for anyone that goes to the website, we talk about get legal, get curricula, get community. And that is going to drop next week. And uh, when you're just starting out, there are options for, and we'll go over this in the video, there are options for zero budget. There are options for uh, unlimited budgets. And many homeschoolers homeschool on, on a very limited budget because most have several kids. And then they just obviously transfer that curricula down mm -hmm. through the family. Um, so you can do it at a low budget, but certainly depending on your pedagogy, your worldview, um, what type of learner your child is or children are, those are all options you can take into consideration. There is one site that's absolutely phenomenal, homeschoolroadmap.org, I think it is. You can plug in learning styles. You can plug in all of this stuff. And, and uh, Tina Hollenbach, she's the uh, designer of that website. She'll come up with, you know, 20 or so options uh, for curricula. Now, if you're just starting, that still may be overwhelming. So I, we advise simplicity when you're, when you're just starting, Randy, because mm -hmm. frankly, the first three months are survival and you're just trying to get into a swing because it's a paradigm shift and it's new to everyone in your family, but it can be done. And so we have to give ourselves grace. We have to give our children grace in order to see if this is something we want to continue. And we will give you thanks for founding the site homeschoolreadyornot.com 
My guest has been Taya Shoemake, and uh, she's been there, done that, and now provides a platform where you can be, I guess, uh, unintimidated, because it can be a little bit daunting uh, whenever we make major change. But man, you make it sound like, hey, if people want to do it, there's no reason they can't. There is a way forward, and that's what homeschoolreadyornot.com aims to provide. Taya, thanks uh, for being with me. As the movement grows, I hope that we can talk again, and all the best as you help others do the great job that you've done with your kids. It's been a pleasure, Randy, and just remember, in issues with process like this, whether you think you can or can't, you're right. all righty well said well said that's words of wisdom have a great weekend thanks very much Taya. you you too take care all right there she is homeschoolreadyornot.com the website it's a good one i suggest you check it out if you're thinking about that now is the time to be thinking about it not comes you know july or august 1st when we come back virginia cruda joins us from daily wire i'll bet there was some excitement in the daily wire circles after the uh twitter free play for 24 hours which almost didn't happen of what is a woman we'll talk with her when we come back you cover me my defender when you're rolling up your Welcome back to the program. It's uh, it's fun. Every week when we get together with Virginia Cruda, writes on the Daily Wire. And, of course, you hear and uh, read her here on uh, the News Talk STL various platforms, whether it's on the digital or the audio or the video. She's everywhere. How you doing, Virginia? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Now, we're asking people. Leah still has her homework yet before the show ends up. But we're doing this dad's promotion, of course, with uh-huh. the jewelers and we want to we want to ask everyone if they have a good dad's joke as we lead up to uh, to Father's Day, because uh, you know you can post if you have one you can well I guess you can't but others can post it on the website and then there'll be a randomly uh, 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 selected winner for five hundred dollar gift certificate from the jeweler. So uh, do you have a good dad's joke? Okay, uh, well you have to play along though. Okay. This is, I always this play is one along. that my, Ask Leah. <laughs> this is this is one that my dad used to do and it drove my mother crazy. Um so okay, knock knock. Who's there? Ether. Ether who? Ether who? <laughs> Ether bunny, knock knock. Who's there? <laughs> God, who's there? Anna. Anna. Anna who? Anna who? And another Ether Bunny. Knock, knock. Who's there? Who's there? <laughs> Cargo. Cargo who? Cargo, Cargo who? Beep. Cargo beep beep ran over the Easter Bunnies. Knock, knock. Oh, gosh. Who's there? <laughs> Who's there? Boo. Boo who? <laughs> Boo who? <laughs> don't, don't cry. The Easter Bunnies are okay. Oh, oh gosh. gosh. <laughs> All right. Good tribute to dad. That's a good one for your dad. Yeah, to remember, remember, remember him. Hey, yeah, uh, you had a, uh, well, I guess we'll, I don't know, we can't enter that because you're, uh, you're on the, you know, you're a member of the, you're on the contributing staff right. here. So I don't know if we can do that. Um, yeah. But, but you are on the staff at the Daily Wire and there was a lot of excitement with, I heard, what was it, 20, 30, 40 million people viewed part or all of the What is a Woman free broadcast uh, late in the week. Yeah, I did too. I hadn't seen the whole thing. I'd seen outtakes of it. Um, Wow, what an epic, impressive, I think this is a, 
This yeah. is a game-changing event. Tell us about what was happening behind the scenes. A lot of excitement where Twitter uh, safety executives were against it. Two of them left in all the yeah. in all the, the mayhem. What's What went yeah. on? I don't know all of the details on that. I do know that when they initially announced that it was going to be available, because this is the anniversary of the documentary. So um, they were going to put it up for free for... Uh, 24 hours and they chose to do that via Twitter and it turned out that that was not okay with some of the members of the Twitter safety team and they said because two people were misgendered during the course of the film meaning they were identified not by their chosen pronouns but by other pronouns um because two people were misgendered that they were going to block it and they wouldn't even allow people to share it. And they thwarted Matt Walsh's own tweets and Elon Musk said, this is a mistake. Everyone should watch this. He retweeted the video and made sure that it was available. And as far as I know, they opened it up and they extended the availability. So it is now available for free for the rest of the weekend as well. Oh, wow. Hey, that's big news because I, folks yeah. who haven't seen that and who have out of, I think, you know, maybe some some respect and courtesy have not wanted to offend and, you know, sort of don't want to enter into the fray like Megyn Kelly for decades since the early 2000s. Um, all they have to do is watch that. And I think it'll give them um, it'll give them a lot of backing and um, encouragement to stand up for the truth. I mean, it is just the truth. And uh, Matt did a fabulous job on that, just the way he was so deadpan in his questions and he wasn't snarky. Um, yeah. Boy, it just talk about disarming. It was a fabulous interview style. Yeah, and that was that was kind of the goal. Um, because, you know, I, I've always said, and I may have said it on this show, I know I've said it on other ones, that the best way to expose the left is to let them talk. I mean, why do you think they hate libs of TikTok so much? Because she doesn't do anything except repeat what they're saying or showcase them saying what they're saying and put it out to a broader audience. Because when more people realize what they're actually saying, then they say, wait a minute, this isn't right. We don't agree with this. We don't believe this. This isn't what we stand for. And you see, like, it only takes a few people to say that the emperor has no clothes on. And that's, that's something that Matt was trying to do. He's like, look, I don't need to impose my ideology on these people because I do that with the, you know, he does that with the podcast. He does that. He has his own ways of, of putting his own ideology out there. But the idea was to put this out there and expose the other ideologies and say, this is what they're saying, and this is why I'm speaking up. So it's it's kind of like um, uh, Riley Gaines. We talked to her a couple of weeks ago um, for an article at the Daily Wire, and she was talking about the fact that, you know, the, the uh, trans uh, biological men in women's sports would stop when enough girls said, we're not going to compete against men. Now, is right. it fair to make girls give up what they've worked for their entire lives? No, but there it's going to come to a point where a couple of them are going to have to say it is worth more to me to save my sport than it is to potentially take home a medal in this one race. 
because they're going to have to stand up on the block. And then when the whistle blows or the gun sounds, they're going to have to step down and let the only person in the pool be the biological male. Yep. Yep. And it's 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 in that um, arena. I think people in their workplace, uh, students uh, at, at all levels um well i just it just is going to there are going to be decision nodes in every truth-seeking traditional values um uh valuing person to say enough i'm i you know i'm not i'm i stand here and you know i'm going to take the lumps wherever they come from so i mean in a way there's going to be cultural martyrs won't there I mean, people may lose a job because they refuse, not only in the transgender, but in the DEI world where I, yeah. you know, there are people that are asked at some of these inclusive meetings to, to apologize to their, to their, uh, their black colleagues, you know, I mean, really, uh, people are just, uh, I think standing up and saying no. And I think, uh, you're beginning to see that with, um, I, Google doesn't have a big display as best I can see for pride month. Um, major league baseball only had the rainbow on their logo for a short while. I don't know if it's back up today. I think the, well, I think the power brokers are beginning to take note. Matt Walsh actually made a really good point earlier this week. And I think Tommy Laren said something about it on her show too, on outkick. They were talking about the fact that, you know, for a long time, the LGB community, and this is this is before the TQ and the rest of it kind of lumped in. Mm-hmm. But the, the the LGB community came out and they were like, "Leave us alone! Don't mm-hmm. um, don't tell us what we can and can't do in our bedrooms. We want this rainbow flag. We're going to put it up. Um, we're going to wear rainbows and okay. And and you know what? There were conservatives who didn't like it and they pushed back a little bit. But for the most part, it was just allowed to happen. And then they said, well, we want same-sex marriage. Okay. Well, again, conservatives didn't necessarily like it, but it was allowed to happen. And it kind of, we made that progression. And the problem is they pushed it one step too far, or maybe a hundred steps too far, depending on how you look at it. And so the people who are mad that there are conservatives and Christians saying, no, we're done. We don't want any more of these flags anymore, ever. It's because we were pushed to the point where we had to say, we can't shop at Target anymore. We can't let our kids go into certain stores. We can't let our kids go to certain events. We can't let our kids go to the library because there might be a drag reading, a drag queen reading kit uh, to the kids. You know, we can't, at what point do enough parents and enough conservatives and enough Christians say we've had enough? And the problem is that once they say we've had enough, they don't say, okay, it stops here. They say, no, we've had enough, and everything you did up to this point, it's poison. It's gone. We're done. You're right, and I think that's that's a lesson that is hard learned by the left. Um, some will never learn it, but I think it's also an admonition for those of us who are fighting the truthful fight, men in behalf of women at all ages and in all jurisdictions that are being uh, you know, undefined, if the progressives have their way, um, need to keep fighting and cannot back down. We cannot back down. I think that's the important message. Virginia, thanks for unpacking the whole uh, the Daily Wire and the, uh, you know, what uh, what is a woman uh, uh, event, because it is it has become a national event. And again, thanks for letting us know that everyone can see it on uh, on the Twitter uh, app throughout the rest of the weekend appreciate you being with me always enjoy the conversation all right have a good one all right you too yep 
Uh, they pushed too far. They played their hand and overplayed it. And now it's advantage conservative traditional values. When we come back, top of the hour, we'll be talking with Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith, Law and Order. Don't miss it. Always great to talk with Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith, who's a spokesperson for the National Police Association. And uh, thanks for being with me, Betsy. Great to have you on the air with us again. Hey, good morning. So great to be with you. So, hey, thank you. And I got the audience has to know that uh, you're on the West Coast there. So you're joining me at like, you know, just barely wiping the sleep out of your eyes time in the morning. So thanks for being here. But, hey, coffee uh, fixes everything. Yeah. But you have done it all uh, throughout the ranks of policing, uh, you know, at all levels, in all different positions. And so I guess, you know, what you know what early hours are. Uh, so uh, but you, you never forget those and never know how to never forget how to manage them either, I guess. Well, yeah, I'll tell you what, I've done shift work uh, virtually my whole life. So, uh <laughs> So yeah, this is this is nothing new. And hey, I'm in Arizona, and it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, Saturday morning. Yeah, and I you'll you'll get a kick out of this being the patriot you are. I I broadcast from my secluded, well armed, uh, highly bunkered, and unknown to the government compound called the Liberty Lair. And um, I love it. I look I look across the lake, and this morning uh, we see we see our we have a nesting pair of bald eagles and beautiful bright morning and the and the bald eagle was up on the up in the tree looking for prey this morning it was really a quite a sight um and and i wanted to to touch base with you on on a few issues that have come to light in the police world and i the, the show before me uh the guy was talking about the the unbelievable number of dollars being spent on illegal immigrants in chicago and I had read where you were on this uh, you were on this deal where the police there are having to be distracted, but being the benevolent people that police officers are, um, they're they're spending a lot of time really reaching out and taking care of these illegals. Now we can talk about the politics of that, but I think it speaks to the heart of policing, doesn't it? Well, it absolutely does, and they're, they're not just spending time; they're spending their own personal money. You know, Lori Lightfoot, right before she left office, kind of foisted all of these migrants, uh, these illegal aliens, onto um, multiple Chicago police district stations. You know, they have different size uh, lobbies, and these poor immigrants, you know, really have no place to sleep, nowhere to go. They're awaiting, you know, going other places. And so what those Chicago police officers have been doing is caring for them, bringing them food from home, buying them fast food, from, you know, that their own kids have outgrown, bringing blankets, um, all of this on their own because they these migrants were foisted on their district stations with virtually no assistance from the city. Now, Brandon Johnson uh, and the city council have just approved uh, millions and millions of dollars now to spend on these migrants, but it's only going to two weeks and about half of that money allotted is going to go for administrative costs various quote-unquote charities 
that manage these migrants. This, now, again, I'm sitting in my kitchen 80 miles from the southern border, and uh, we see the same thing here in Arizona, but as they say, now every state is a border state. And we call this down here, we, we call it the immigration industrial complex because it's a big money maker for a lot of these nonprofits uh, and other entities involved in, quote-unquote, immigration. So terribly frustrating. Yeah, and when we have um, understaffed police departments across the land, and it's getting worse because of the disrespect, the under or defunding of these departments, um, at the same time that because of the porous borders and that unbelievably lame border policy, um, they're being stressed even more, not only with the humanitarian uh, you know, either obligations that they feel personally or maybe their departments and their city councils are telling them to do. Um, but then doesn't that distract them from the extra work that goes along with, let's be honest, these illegals aren't always uh, the kind of person you want sitting at your kitchen table 80 miles from the border. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, we are seeing so many military-aged single men that are coming across the border in, in our southern border states, and a lot of them are not here for that quote-unquote better life. They're, they're here to commit crimes, to continue a life of crime. A lot of these men have been released from prisons in their own company, uh, in, in their own countries. A lot of them are illiterate in their own language. In other words, they're not sending their best and brightest. We also see uh, extraordinary amounts of uh, sexual assault, especially among children and women. It's, you know, we see human trafficking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. You know, people that encourage this, you know, say, oh, we just must be compassionate and let these people in. You don't understand what so many of these, especially women and children, go through at the hands of the cartels and their fellow migrants just to get here. And then very often they just disappear into the United States. Remember, the Biden administration has lost track of at least a quarter of a million children who are now in this country and i guarantee you a great many of them are being trafficked right now yeah. you know uh, i have a family member who worked in one of these um, well i it was sort of like a semi lockdown type of a thing run by a public private partnership deal in chicago where these girls and and boys that came up there were you know they were illegally so they ended up in this sort of a, in a semi-incarcerated type of an environment the story she told of what happened to these girls betsy was just i've heard stories but i mean these stories made just sent a chill up my spine it was amazing and the goody two-shoes who think that we're somehow being nice to these people by opening the borders are so misinformed they need to they need to get in and hear some of these stories it's just awful what happens yeah you're absolutely right and and it's unfortunate that the mainstream media will not yeah. tell these stories because i think a lot of people would really change their minds yeah. about supporting what is happening Absolutely. On another note, um, we have seen unbelievably brilliant response to mass uh, shootings, uh, you know, like like we saw in that, uh, you know, that uh, that school shooting uh, in uh, Tennessee. We've also seen uh, in Nashville, we've also seen unbelievably um, apparently, um, you know, some some missteps in management, just to, to say it minimally, Uvalde and potentially Parkland. Mm. 
Um, Parkland Deputy Sheriff, first uh, first trial in this kind of a setting, right, for the response or lack of it to a school shooting. Tell us about it. Well, Deputy Scott Peterson, uh, who's now 60, he was the school resource officer uh, at the Parkland School. And uh, and uh, people, I am sure people remember that he was famously uh, excoriated for um, not really running toward the shots. There's video and photographs where um, he basically took a position outside and uh, and did not respond appropriately. There were other, again, leadership missteps in the handling of the Parkland situation. And so there was some delay getting to the shooter, Nicholas Cruz. And uh, and he, you know, he killed uh, 14 students and three adults at Parkland. So, you know, there's been multiple lawsuits, things like that. But now, five years later, um, Scott Peterson is being charged with multiple felonies, felony child neglect, um, and he's going to be tried. There's jury selections going on right now. Um, we're told that he is going to testify, and he has made this statement publicly, that he did not know that he thought it was uh, that there was a sniper. In other words, it, he said that if he had moved forward into the building, um, he felt like he was dealing with a sniper, that he didn't know where the shooter was. Um, and again, we know where we, the public, we know where the shooter was because now uh, at the conclusion of the investigation, of course, um, we know the shooter was inside, upstairs, et cetera. So we're coming at this from... Uh, what we call hindsight bias. In other words, we all know the ending of the story. We know what happened. Um, so it's going to be a very interesting case because this is the first charging of a police officer uh, in this kind of manner for not running toward those shots. And it's an interesting legal conundrum as well. There's a lot of Supreme Court decisions on a police officer's duty to protect. So I think we're going to see some testing of law here. You know, it's interesting. I recently attended a, oh, about a three-hour uh, presentation by an attorney who represents uh, a municipal police officers association in Columbia, Missouri. And uh, there was an incident where a uh, outside of a bar, a guy got uh, was they were trying. He, he, the two police officers were driving by. I don't think they were even really dispatched to the scene, but they saw that there was a dispute between the uh, the bouncer. And a, a fairly large individual, but you know, robust guy. And the guy was drunk and he couldn't be, they, they, they came to the scene. They were trying to restrain him. Of course, videos were taken by all the bystanders and um, they couldn't get the cuffs on him. And so one of the officers uh, was seen, um, I mean, to use the media's word, punching the guy in the face for four or five times. Um, and uh, they, they were able to do that. Well, if you look carefully in the video, he was still resisting after a tasing, still resisting the restraint. And I learned at that presentation, Betsy, something that every citizen ought to know about Supreme Court decisions that talk about objective. What is it? Objective. Um, uh, yeah. Objective. The word yeah, it, it, you know what, what I mean. Another, it's the yeah, objective reasonableness. What would objective reasonableness? Reasonable, that's it. Objective yeah, reasonableness. What yes. would a reasonable and, police officer do in that situation? Right, and 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 I get into the details on this because on first glance, when I first saw it, the video broke while we were on the air, and when I first saw it, I said, "Wow, that's troubling." Well, it turns out policing 
the reality of policing is troubling, just like the reality of surgery that I do is when people see surgery done, they go, oh, really? Is that what happens? Oh, man. Well, okay. Policing is, is not always fun because you're not dealing with fun people all the time. But, but the other thing I learned was that we do have that retrospective bias when the media gets their hands on it and anti-police media in general. And you can't judge that officer is only asked to judge the situation through their eyes as they see it. And, and in this particular instance, I learned, too, that that's a distraction technique. I mean, if this guy, this, and it turns out the guy, the reason his nose was bloodied was probably was because he had some, he had you know glasses on. But that's a distraction technique, and in fact, it enabled them to uh, to to get the cuffs on the guy. So it, it's it's. I'm glad that you point this out. Not that this is an open and close. This this guy was totally justified. This Peterson and what he did. But what the public doesn't know is there's training that goes on. There's protocols that go on. And maybe if you got a problem, let's talk about supervision and process and policy and procedure, not the officer who's following what they were trained. Well, you're absolutely right. And I think we're going to see at this trial, there's going to be a lot of discussion about training, about procedures, about uh, supervision. You know, let's remember at that time, the Broward County Sheriff, uh, Sheriff Israel, um, you know, was one of those sheriffs who want, you know, he's a Democrat, not to make it partisan, but wanted a softer, gentler, um, you know, less militaristic, if you will, police department. So, um, I, you know, and that's what I want people to, to think about, you know, it, it, just like we saw at Evaldi, um, contrast that with what we saw at the Nashville Covenant School shooting um, and the Louisville Bank shooting. Do you want police officers with the right kind of weapons and the right kind of tactics running toward those shots to stop these mass shooters and any other kind of violent criminal, or do you want them standing around, taking cover, wringing their hands like we saw in Uvalde? Uh, do we want, we've heard for the last three years, hey, we can't have a warrior cops. We can't have the militarization of the American law enforcement officer. And people love to say that until uh, a mass shooting, until, uh, you know, a gang banging drive by, uh, a bank robbery, whatever it is. So the American public's got to decide. And police officers deserve to have the right weapons, to have the right tools, to have the right training so that we can not only protect the public, but so we can protect ourselves as well. Yep. And, and it's funny how if we're the ones that have the microscope on us, whether it's in our workplace, at school, at home, because of some alleged indiscretion in our behavior, we want people to understand and walk a mile in our moccasins, to use that old metaphor. But it's amazing how when it comes to policing, the mainstream media, many of the progressives, well, all of the progressives, that's their that's their their truth is by by default, the police come into a situation wanting to abuse and maim and hurt people <laughs> and and nothing could be further from the truth. I am absolutely convinced of that. Having looked at what police officers go through, some of the behind the scenes discussions I've had, and I'm so glad that you're there to help us uh, from time to time relay that because I don't think people understand what it is to be out there um, in this environment. I just don't think they get it at all. Well, and that's why the National Police 
is we are trying to support the American law enforcement officer and educate the public. That's why we ask people to go to our website, nationalpolice.org, read some of our articles, find out what it's like to be an American law enforcement officer and what you can do to help support them. You know, most people by our polling, most people respect law enforcement. Most people care about us. Most people want us in their neighborhoods. It's just this loud minority of activists and and progressive, this anti-cop crowd uh, that doesn't want us around. But most people do. And you know what we want to do as cops? We want to protect our people, whether they want us there or not. We want to protect our communities, our neighborhoods, our counties, our states. Yeah. And there's a growing and I think more vocal um, protect the police so that they can go home to their family um, all while they're you know protecting us, too. There's a growing movement. Thanks, Sergeant Betsy Bradner-Smith. Again, uh, it's nationalpolice.org and at Nat Police Assos on uh, Twitter. Thanks for being with me. Enjoyed the talk. Hey, great to talk to you. Have a good weekend. All right. You too. Take care. Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith, a strong voice for um, a besieged community of law enforcement people across the nation. And um, hope that you can do whatever you can to support our law enforcement officers. And demand that the prosecutors do their job to follow up when the police do their job. Because I think sometimes our prosecutors let us down. Anxious to see if Kim Gardner's replacement is able to do that in St. Louis. When we come back, we'll talk with Paul Siegert about health care, a consolidation just announced this week, BJC and St. Luke's. What does it mean for you? What does it mean for health care in the region, in the state? We'll be back to talk about that in just a few. Stay tuned. Well, we're back and... Um, Always enjoy talking with my friend Paul Siegert, managing partner at PCS Advisors, about the healthcare environment uh, because that's what he does for a living: is help you and your employer mad navigate that. It is a complex jungle out there, and Paul is right on top of it, presenting around the nation and helping people understand that they don't have to live with the medical industrial complex definition of healthcare. Paul, thanks for joining me this morning. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing great. Hey, uh, lots of buzz in, uh, well, the St. Louis area, Missouri, Kansas City, all across the state. Uh, announcement of a big merger. Uh, BJC, big healthcare concern, obviously, with St. Luke's over in Kansas City. BJC in the St. Louis area, Kansas City over, uh, St. Luke's over in Kansas City. Um, merging. Uh, and, you know, touting the, what, 10 billion cap, uh, you know, better technology, better resources for providers. It sounds like it's going to be a utopian healthcare environment as a result of consolidation. What say you? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, <laughs> we have a very consistent track record of <laughs> merging. Allow, we won't let two budget airlines to merge for fear that we'll drive up airline prices, even though I bought a ticket to Fort Lauderdale from Nashville recently for something like $38. But <laughs> the but we'll allow hospitals to merge. We'll allow huge conglomerates to form in healthcare. And it's always sold to all the agencies that approve this that it's going to create efficiencies that drive down costs. But hospital consolidation consistently results in higher prices. It's true in different geographic markets. It's true with different data sources. I mean, it's just 
whether you're there's all kinds of studies out there in National Institute of Health, University of Pennsylvania. I mean, you can't find a study that doesn't confirm it, and, and yet we continue to allow it to happen. Yeah. There, there do see, seem to be some competing forces um, on the resource availability for patient care. And I speak uh, from a person who's jumped off the medical industrial complex um, turnstile whirly gig wheel and now i'm doing a direct primary care you know direct to patient old-fashioned medicine time intensive practice uh time intensive visits yeah but but in order to to provide that kind of resource with technology costs and everything it becomes more and more difficult there are forces that are making it difficult to do that a lot of that has to do with legislative um, lobbying on the part of these big conglomerates as well that's a big problem i see ahead as far as enabling this disruptive innovation in the whole direct primary care and transparency and direct to consumer market how are we doing in that in that aspect well, not well at all. I mean, if you took, we have 14 or 15 lobbyists for every member of Congress at the national level that are in place to protect this the way it is, you know, to protect this massive fourth or fifth of our economy becoming a fourth of our economy if we don't do anything about it uh, and preventing a lot of things from changing. Uh, they're protecting pharma. They're protecting, you know, the way these large hospital groups operate these big conglomerates, you know, it used to be at all these separate forces. And because of the power of this lobbying, we are, we are sitting and watching while insurers and pharmacy benefit managers merge. And then they become, you know, look at it now, you've got companies like Optum and Humana and even Walmart. I mean, they're, they're becoming the largest, uh, our largest in-home healthcare company is actually an insurer now. It's, yeah. So there's these checks and balances that used to exist, free market forces, I think, is what you should, what they really are. They we're losing us. Yeah, and you know, yet when people experience uh, more of a traditional relationship and you know, direct to consumer, my gosh, we buy our pillows directly from Mike Lindell. Why can't we buy our healthcare directly <laughs> from you know whoever? You know, think about it. In in every other market. It seems like, you know, buy Tommy John underwear, right? You don't, you can buy it at Target if you want to go there and pass the LGBTQ, but you, you buy it directly and often you get a much better deal, much better relationship when you go direct to the, to the, to the provider of that good or service. And I, I know that the data is very supportive of people that are either seeking or providing, um, you know, direct patient care models. And I know that's something that you're adept at showing employers and, uh, well, providers and patients that there is a better way. Yeah, they, I mean, they're, I think providers prefer it too. You know, we've, mm-hmm. But we've created a situation because of these healthcare conglomerates that you talked about where north of 70% of doctors now work for a large corporation. And so we're losing, you know, we've lost that uh, that relationship that people had where they could actually have primary care. You can't have primary care in 30 seconds, <laughs> you know, or, or a no, two and a half minute no. visit. When I see my doctor, it's like <laughs> what you're describing. I, we do, he is my primary source of care. You know, we're spending 30 or 45 minutes together. 
uh, and yeah. I have confidence that I'm doing the right thing with my health, and it's mm-hmm. I'm getting guidance globally overall on my life, my lifestyle, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things. It it's helping me to be a healthy person, and that is available to people. Uh, yeah. Well, that's what I find really come fun. Out of the fog. That's what I. That's what I find fun about the new model. I, you know, I, I, yeah, there's times when I need to see a patient initially and maybe, you know, periodically throughout the, the, uh, if there's an episode of care about a particular problem, um, even if it's just a wellness thing, you know, I feel like that communication and that relational aspect of medicine is coming back again. I, you know, I don't need to bring a patient in just to create a bill. Uh, because it's a That's subscription-based right. model where, you know, yeah, you've got, you pretty much have my phone number, you got my cell or my text. If that's the way we communicate, great. But there may be times I say, Paul, sorry, got to take an hour off of work. And by the way, you can do that today or tomorrow. You don't need to wait six weeks and you can come in. Right. That provides flexibility and it respects the the schedule of, of the worker or the employee or the patient who doesn't want right. to take a yeah. day off of work and sit in a waiting room. Here's another thing I think is so powerful about what you're doing and this this movement in general, which is, by the way, this this is the benefit that we provide our own employees, uh, because I think it's really important that you separate primary care from the rest of the of the care out there in a business sense. I mean, when you have the risk we face right now, when you have 70 percent of doctors that work for a large corporation, the reason those large corporations buy them in their practices is to control what happens in the care, course of care. So they can use them now as salespeople to drive you to their own specialties as quickly as possible to generate more revenue. Bigger billing happens in the specialties. So you you create them, they just become salespeople, not primary sources of care uh, and because the incentives are, are messed up. So it's really great to me to see that this movement is uh, is growing of this concierge level or whatever you want to call it, this direct relationship with your primary care doctor and that you can have that separate from all the other specialties out there. Certainly they can interact with them. They can send you when appropriate. Sure. And I think we need to say too, Paul, that the doctors that are trapped in the system now, some are academics, and we thank God for the tertiary and quaternary care docs who really, with the infrastructure and the resources and the technology and the tools and the operating rooms and the electrophysiology labs and the radiology, you know, uh, machines that zap cancer, you know, there's no way that your local mom and pop direct primary care offices can provide. Uh, and specialists, you know, who operate need to have operating rooms, and there is a need for that. And it's but 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 a lot of these doctors, whether they're specialists or primary care docs, feel trapped in a system where they don't have the autonomy that they used to. And some of that's driven by insurance. Some of that's driven right. by the yeah. the large conglomerate hospital system, um, and they don't really want to be there. And unfortunately, that that means limited time with patients. That means a lot of checking of the boxes and administrative stuff. And and I know. This isn't our prime focus on this interview, but uh, I can tell you a lot of them are fed up as they've had it up to here with DEI training, ESG, CEI, what other acronyms can I use? All the politically correct woke stuff that they are mandated to, to engage in as as uh, as employees. And it's a distraction from dealing with the patient's problem or preventing a problem. That's 
And that's the frustration I talk to when I talk to many of my colleagues who wish that the, they didn't have to be employed. But it's a reality with all the rules, regulations, and costs sure. that come along yeah. with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a shame. It's becoming very, very difficult to survive. And, and to, yeah, it's, to your point, I mean, you just can't you, – you don't see – too many shingles hung out anymore uh, that are succeeding. You see some that are just kind of at the tail end of their career hanging on, but it's very, very difficult. Well, at Body of Health, that's what I'm trying to do is just trying to provide an example and maybe some a different way for, for folks who are interested in that and, and either as patients or docs uh, learning about it. And they can, uh, they can learn more as we continue to have our discussion or uh, in touch with you. Best way to get in touch with you, Paul? For employers uh, or for uh, others who are interested? Yeah. Yeah, PCSAdvisors.com. We spell it with E-R-S or just Google my name, Paul Seeger. There's only two of us in the country. And I know in your, ahead of in your own company, I know in, in, me. in your own company, you've, uh, you've saved, you know, what, you're in the double digits in terms of savings going from a traditional uh, employer-provided oh, plan yeah. to a different model. Yeah. Yeah, like 40%. Yeah. Significant. Wow. And that's, and that's, and you've taken this model across the country and I know I'm working with you in several um, places to try to help develop that as well and, and promote it. Um, any, anything we need to know about in the debt ceiling on the healthcare front that snuck through that maybe didn't make it on the media pages. Uh, I know there were some veterans. Well, there was um, some risk of government through. care yeah. not getting, yeah. Some of those government programs, including the veterans, the question was, would they continue to fund those programs or would they, would they get paired back if we had a partial shutdown? I think it seems like we've averted that. So that's positive. Uh, okay. That, that's cool. That, that was at risk. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Hey, listen, thanks for being with me, my friend. Uh, we'll continue to keep an eye on uh, the developing landscape and this innovative way of looking at healthcare. I know there's some bills on the table to make it easier and and uh, from an IRS standpoint, to make it absolutely ironclad that people can use their HSAs and they can have the same tax advantages by opting into DPC with a wraparound catastrophic plan of one type or another. But there's other ways currently legal that I think a lot of people don't know about that you do. So um, we'll refer people to you at PCSAdvisors.com. Uh, Paul Seeger, thanks for being with me. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for having me. Have a good day. All right. You too. I'm telling you, he's been there on the dark side, ladies and gentlemen, dealing with traditional insurance models. There's others who do what Paul is doing as well. And I've been uh, instant messaged by folks that are doing that, too. But uh, I, I work with Paul and really can highly recommend him. He does a great job. When we come back, I believe that Leah has fulfilled her homework assignment, which is a dad's joke, because, of course, we do have that that promotion going on, the Father's Day promotion at Bus Jewelers. Um, where you can, uh, you know, post your dad's joke on NewstalkSTL.com and uh, be registered to then uh, be randomly selected to get a $500 dis gift certificate plus jewelers. Uh, so, Leah, I'm going to hold your feet to the okay. fire on that when we come back. All righty. And we still are asking the question, pineapple on the pizza? If you're watching us on Facebook Live or on Rumble, you can weigh in on that. I say no. What do you say? We'll be back and wrap it up after this. Well, we're back, and um, I'm so thankful that you join us every Saturday, even if it's not in real time. I know that, you know, I'd love to have you here from 6 to 9 every Saturday and watching the shenanigans on uh, 
on Facebook Live or Twitter or Rumble. And, and you know what? Even if you like pineapple on your pizza, I will forgive you. You'll be welcome into the club. <laughs> That's been the question on the table this morning. And I guess the, the general consensus has been, yeah, okay, I'll eat it if it's there. But it's not like, you know, if someone asks you what's your favorite, what's your favorite flavor, at, at, I think a lot of people would say no. Now, some people say it's pathologic to do that. Uh, but it's not my cup of tea. Le- Leah, you're, you're okay with the pineapple, huh? Yeah, I mean, I said, uh, I said it's not like my go-to, but if it's the only option or it's the option that's there that I actually like, then I'll eat it. Yeah. Now, another question regarding pizza before we get to your dad joke, okay. because that's the homework that we yeah. had for you. Now, there's a lot of argument. Well, not, there's a lot of discussion when the pizza order is going out for whether it's the birthday party, the the office party, the you know the some graduation. Um, thick crust, thin crust, hand tossed, oh. deep dish. No, what what kind of crust are you? Uh, definitely not thin crust. Not a fan of the St. Louis style pizza, but I like oh. I like you know regular thick crust. And my dad's from Chicago, so he's he likes the oh. Chicago style pizza, and I'm I like it too. Yeah. So yeah. now now which now um, I remember when I was in the music business. Um, after a gig, I would love it because Telena's down on Skinker, and I guess it was Skinker and Forest Park Avenue down there, um, next to Forest Park. They're no longer there. I think there's a Telena's out on Olive Street still. Um, they had that Chicago-style pizza. That was the treat. Yeah. Oh, it was the best. Well, now, what is your favorite? Do you like Giordano's? you like, uh, what's the other one out there? Um, there's so many good ones. Yeah. What's your dad's favorite? In Chicago, I I don't know. You'd have to ask him. He he knows oh, okay. Chicago well, better than I do. So <laughs> I'll have to I'll have to text him and ask him. Yeah. All right. So okay. Um. I'm 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 a thin crust guy. Give me the thin oh, crust. Oh gosh. Give me the thin crust. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to focus on the topping, not the crust. I can get bread anywhere. I want to, I want the topping. I want the magic that can be done with the the sauce and the cheese. And I like the all of it. I like all of it. Well, I mean, I'll eat any of it, but you know. All right. So what's your dad joke from Leah Olmstead here as we ask the dad joke ahead of Father's Day in a couple of weeks? Yeah. So you were asking me, like, if my dad ever used a dad joke on me and not exactly. But I found this. I found this on Google and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is such this was so my dad when I was growing up. So it says <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a text thread. So think of like an iPhone text thread. And it yeah. says, yeah. I'm hungry, which is something I would say to my dad when I'm growing up, when I was growing up. And he would say, hi, hungry. Nice to meet you. I'm dad. And I'd say, Dad, I'm serious. And he would say, I thought your name was Hungry. And he would say, and I would say, Are you kidding me? And he would say, No, I'm Dad. That was oh. so my dad growing up. That's your dad. That's that's like your dad. Yeah. Okay. So I would that, say I'm that's hungry. A little bit like, and he would say, Hi, <laughs> say, Hungry. Well, nice to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Hungry. I'm Dad. And it's like, ah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Virginia, we asked Virginia Cruda earlier. And if you didn't catch her, you can catch it on the podcast. When's the podcast going to be up? <sighs> well, not today. Not today. Maybe tomorrow. Hopefully tomorrow. Okay, maybe tomorrow. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope so. Uh, but we asked Virginia Cruda, and she gave us a series. There was like this. It was like this rolling building on one another. Oh. Um, yeah, knock knock jokes. Yeah. <laughs> About killing one four nine one two. Three one four nine one two one zero one nine. If you want to weigh in, um, 
here as we wrap up the program this morning with your favorite dad joke or um, any comments about the topics of the day. You know, the whole the whole notion of where this woke progressive. I don't know why they call it woke. To me, it's sleeping. It's putting common sense and truth to sleep is what the woke so-called woke agenda does. Everyone knows a man when they see a man and a woman when they see a woman and a man who tucks his stuff in a bathing suit is still a man who's tucking his stuff in the bathing suit. And I'm glad that everyday Americans who don't have any kind of an, uh, of gain by, uh, by, by, you know, this, this whole industry now, the woke industry are fighting back. Um, in some jurisdictions, I know in some communities, the target stores still have the, still have the, the goodies out front, you know, with the, the board books for the kids, but the, the toddlers, the, the tuck friendly, you know, even in children's clothes, I understand they have those. Um, but in others, they've been subordinated to the back of the store, but they're still there. Target losing money like crazy. We understand Bud Light. Uh, that is just no one's drinking Bud Light. And and apparently, according to one report, they are on the verge of falling to second place in that class of beer to uh, to a Modelo brand. And Modelo Especial. I don't know. I I don't, is that the same Modelo that does Negro Modelo? I like Negro Modelo. If I'm going to drink a beer, it's going to be a dark beer. I prefer well, a stout or, you know, an oatmeal. What do they call it? Oat stout? I like that kind of stuff. Negro Modelo, if I'm going to go out and have some Mexican food, love that stuff. With Mexican food, otherwise, not so much. I don't like to drink it alone so much. But, man, but then you think about it. Leah, can you imagine if you're someone working at Anheuser-Busch in Bev and you're just a guy making beer, you know, and I think the whole, all of the brands are being affected one way or another is my understanding, Bud Light primarily. A lot of good people in St. Louis work at AB and they're being punished because of, you know, silly, woke, agenda-driven executives, marketing people who don't know what the heck they're doing. Um and it hurts those people. It hurts the distributors, the drivers. But I guess it has to hurt them. I'm sorry. If you're one of those people, you need to then go to your boss and say, stop it. Would you please send this message up the flagpole, you know, to marketing, to management, to apologize to Americans and say, we're backing down. We're sorry. We're going to have some patriotic Clydesdales commercials come back. We're going to bring back, um, oh, the, who is the dog? Who was the dog on the Bud Light commercials? Anyway, you know, there were the frog. Remember the frog commercials in Bud Light? You don't even know these no. things. Yeah, you don't even know why. <laughs> no, they, were, they, would, uh, they were frogs in the pond, you know, talking to one another about Bud Light. Okay. There were a lot of those. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't want to hurt people by, you know, boycotting a brand, but I think sometimes you need to hurt the people at the bottom levels to say, look, you know, if you want to maintain your job, knock on the boss's door, better yet, with a bunch of your friends, and, you know, tell them enough. Stop it. It's only through grassroots activism that big things ever get done, in my opinion. And I think we've got leverage, and it's been, we're seeing that. It's going to take girls who have trained a long time to compete in their sports as, uh, you know, as we were talking with Virginia earlier, 
to say, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to swim against a man who claims he's a woman. I'm not, I'm just not going to do it. And, uh, you know, people are going to have to draw the line, make some personal sacrifice for the good of America, the good of our culture, the good of our future, our kids, our grandkids' future. Well, I hope that uh, I hope that that's taken under advisement and taken seriously by the people that have to make those decisions. Well, that'll wrap it up for this edition of the Tobler Show. We thank you for being with us. I really do appreciate your audience. And if you have any ideas for the show, please um, email me at randy at drtobler.com. You can uh, message us uh, through the Facebook page as well, the Randy Tobler Show Facebook page. And uh, we look forward to joining you next week when I'm sure there'll be more and more and more stuff to talk about. Keep the charge up against the woke onslaught. We will overcome because faith, family, and freedom always will overcome, as will seeking the truth. That's what we do here. For Leah, I'm Randy Tobler. Have a great weekend. God willing, we'll see you next Saturday. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me as he died to make men whole.